Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Pocket Limp Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and we've got plenty on the agenda this week, including a look at the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip's display and, in specific, some issues we've experienced. Further to our review of the handset last week, a more extensive testing period has thrown up some oddities with the screen. The foldable clamshell handset is a stunning idea and offers a beautiful form factor, but all may not be as expected, at least in our experiences so far. Pocketlinks editor Chris Hall joins me to talk through his discoveries and whether foldable screen flip phones really are the future. I also talk with HTC Europe's General Manager Graham Wheeler about the new range of Vive VR headsets, their interchangeable faceplates and what lies in the future for both HTC Vive and virtual reality in general. Plus, the Lens contributing editor Cam Bunton will lend his perspective on the Sennheiser HD 450BT headphones that are available now. They feature active noise cancelling technology for a very reasonable price. But can they be a great alternative to over-ears that generally cost twice as much? And are we seeing ANC tech creep into all headsets at the mid to top end? But first, back to Chris and the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip. So Chris, um, you reviewed the Z Flip smartphone last week and uh, and talked more about it. But we're going to delve a bit more into the news that it's not all that it's cracked up to be, pardon the pun in terms of the actual screen, you found that there was actually a problem with the Z Flip screen. Well, yes, this is interesting because Samsung launched this new phone saying that it was protected with uh, ultra-thin glass, which is something they're using on their marketing fairly heavily. And there have been some questions raised about how glass-like it really is. But we found another problem, which was actually underneath the glass layer itself. And I've reported this problem to Samsung and they are investigating what it's all about and said that they will come back to me with some sort of response. But what it looked like to me was a slight rippling in the actual material of the display. And this is underneath the protective surfaces and everything else. So actually right down deep in the display. The interesting thing about it was that it it didn't seem to make any impact on the visual performance. So you could watch a movie and you'd never see it. You could be scrolling through things and you wouldn't see any of that disruption. But when the display was off and it caught the light, you'd see these tiny ripples underneath the surface just in one location on the screen. Now, I have a couple of theories about this because I noticed that that is the part of the screen that sits above the processor and the GPU and all of that stuff. So when you're playing a game, and I played quite a lot of Call of Duty on this phone, that's the part that you feel getting hot. It's also the point where your thumb would be for the controller. Now, I didn't do anything to abuse the phone. I wasn't trying to damage the phone. I'd say I was. I took as much care with it and only used it in the way that you'd use a normal phone. But I still feel as though the combination, perhaps, of the heat and the pressure had caused this slight rippling under the display. And that does raise some concerns about how durable and how appropriate these displays are at the moment in folding phones. 
Uh, to be fair on Samsung at this point, we must say that this was a review sample that we were given and we haven't tested the same thing on any other version of that phone. So this was one specific handset and they're currently doing internal investigation on whether it was a, a one-off error, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. And I have said to Samsung that if they can get me another phone, then I'll be happily to have a look at it again and see if I can either reproduce it, in which case it's definitely something I'm doing. It could also be that it's one of the first devices to roll out. It could be a manufacturing thing. But it's a, it's certainly something that people should look at and think about whether, you know, if they are thinking about buying it, something to keep an eye on if you've got the device and just to consider in the future. But I also wanted to talk a little bit more about the ultra thin glass because Samsung has said that this is now available to other people, but it might not be as glass like as you expect it to be. There have been some durability tests done now that the phone is out in the wild and people have got their hands on it. We've seen some scratch tests and some other tests where people subject this display to things that you probably would never normally do and certainly we'd never do to it and found that the surface of the phone actually scratches quite easily. And it appears that although this display does contain glass, Samsung says that it is 30 micrometers thick, which is tiny. Nothing like the glass display that you might expect on a normal solid phone. And we believe that this is then covered with an extra polymer layer on the top. So when people are scratching the display, they're actually scratching the plastic surface that they've applied on top of this micro thin layer of glass. So the problem that all of these phones face is that they need to remain flexible. And that is a complete barrier to having a really solid surface. So it's a very, very interesting technology. And I think the future is going to be very exciting. And Samsung have actually gone out, put these devices onto the market and said, here it is, here's what we can do. But I think that the next generation is probably going to be more exciting as the display materials develop and get harder and become better performing. I mean, it's not the only foldable um, clamshell phone to hit the market in recent times. The Moto Razor reboot is also, I think, still on its way to the UK, isn't it? But that in itself is also quite fragile. Yeah, there have been a lot of concerns about Motorola's phone. And if you remember, Motorola announced this phone back in 2019, and it's taken quite a long time to come to market, whereas Samsung announced it, put it on sale, two days later and it got got it into people's hands. So, and, and when that sort of thing happens, you always wonder what the delay is. And I suspect that Motorola's phone may not really be ready. And some of the reports that we've seen have said that the display is quite a bit more fragile than Samsung's phone. There have been a lot of uh, photos appearing where people in the US have had the phone and it's cracked down the center or it's peeling away. And some of this reminds us of the first time that the Samsung Galaxy Fold came out last year, where the surface of the display seemed what people were separating that from the actual technical panel underneath. Samsung then had to go back and revise the design to make sure that doesn't happen. I think I should say that I think that the Galaxy Fold is an outstanding device. I think it's absolutely brilliant. You do have to be careful with these things because obviously it doesn't have a thick layer of Gorilla Glass sitting over the top designed to resist scratches and things like that. But yeah, Motorola's problems do seem to be there and we're still waiting to get our hands on the new device. It is actually up for sale in the UK at the moment, but we don't seem to have any review samples. And again, that suggests that there may be some more problems with it that Motorola quite quite aren't facing yet. Um, so essentially, 
what would your advice be? Would you go um, eyes open into buying one of these devices or would you rather wait uh, for the next generation ones? Because this seems to be a form factor and certainly it's a form factor that excites me. I actually love the idea of a clamshell smartphone that opens out into a six or, or almost seven inch device. Um, but should I just wait? I think the sensible advice for most people would be to wait. But if you're a technology fan, then this is something to behold. Having had 10 years of phones that are basically all exactly the same and just slabs, this is something that's truly different while still doing everything else that you want your phone to do. I think it depends a lot on how you want to use your phone. If you're the sort of person who uses it for making calls, doing some browsing, light day-to-day use, then I think that you should be able to get one of these phones and you'll find that it meets all of your expectations. Take some care with the display. Don't throw it around in the dust. Remember that it's not waterproof. I think you'll have a great time with it whilst having a unique device. But if you're a more intensive user, if you spend a lot of time playing games, then I would suspect that these devices probably aren't quite ready for you yet. Excellent. Thanks, Chris. And and also make sure that you check out on pocketlint.com when we actually hear back from Samsung about this issue, because it may well just be that it was an individual phone's uh, fault. So please do check back on our website. But cheers, Chris. Thanks for your insight. Still to come, Cam gives us his verdict on the Sennheiser HD 450BT headphones and active noise cancelling tech in general. They're just a really good, great sounding long-lasting comfortable pair of headphones and they don't cost the earth which i think is the big deal here next though i'm joined by htc europe's general manager graham wheeler htc vive has this week announced a trio of new vr headsets as part of the company's cosmos line plus interchangeable faceplates that make the upgrade path a lot more simple and cost effective Starting with the entry-level HTC Vive Cosmos Play, there is something for everyone in the new range, and then there is the tantalising Project Proton device, a potential step forward for both the company and the overall future of virtual reality. Sadly though, with Mobile World Congress cancelled due to fears over the coronavirus outbreak, HTC's plans to show the new headsets and Proton concept in Barcelona were dashed. However, Graham joins me now to discuss them here on the PocketLint Podcast. So Graham, VR, where are we now? Where is where is VR in the grand scheme of things at this time? Well, for us, it's massively evolving. It's really changing. The audience is growing and we're seeing people experience things in many, many different ways. And that's why we HTC want to define products that actually have that ability to grow with the individuals. Brilliant. Um, and how has it gone for HTC? I mean, you've got the Cosmos headset and we know that uh, there's some other headsets or other concepts coming soon, aren't there? That's right. We actually have um, announced the Cosmos at the end of last year, but actually that's only the start of our Cosmos story. The Cosmos was designed to be a modular headset. And what we were going to announce at MWC was actually the first of the modular series for us. So what we have done is we've taken the Cosmos that you know, the six camera version, and we've introduced a new lower cost version, the Cosmos Play for the VR explorers, the people that want to start in VR. It's still got the same great resolution, the same great comfort, but it actually takes away two cameras and it takes away the on-ear headphones to allow people to have in-ear headphones. And that comes in at a lower price point in, uh, of 499 in Q2. 
And we're also adding another bundle at the other end, which is the Cosmos Elite. And that has a different faceplate on it that actually allows for Steam VR tracking. So you can actually access all the world of the Steam VR accessories, for example, the Logitech One, the Knuckle controllers, and bring those in to use with your Cosmos device as well with that external tracking plate. And that Cosmos Elite, is at 899 and it will go on pre-order on the 24th of February for availability in March. Um, with the play being only 499, is that one of the barriers that people have said about getting into VR to begin with? That that VR was quite an expensive um, uh, technology to to join into. Um, have you now got to a point where you can offer things more affordable and essentially remove all those barriers? What we done is is basically taken a great headset the highest resolution headset and actually made sure that it is accessible and that price point but the important thing is as people adapt and understand what they can do in vr they have the ability to grow with that product so they're not buying a product that they necessarily then find doesn't fit their requirements it will it will be adaptable to there. So if they want to buy the wireless because they really are needing to remove the wires or they want to add the steam tracking, they can do with the Cosmos headset. So we, we've designed it in a way akin to, for example, the IKEA PAX wardrobe. It's got a very core shell that allows you to, to purchase a, a good quality base, but then you can buy your own doors, handles, and make it customized to sit, fit you. And that's how we've looked at that PAX, uh, how we've looked at that Cosmos. And that's how people build gaming PCs. They build them in a modular way. And we want to be able to, to keep with the, how people are doing that in the gaming world. Does that also help to attract people from different areas? Because um, previously, when people write about VR, they always quite definitively stick to different categories. There's the, uh, there's the gamers that really were helped drive VR to begin with. Um, then there were the creators. Um, and then there were the high-end sort of business style of VR use. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right for if you look at the VR market, it's exploding in terms of adding new segments and they're growing all the time. So what we are doing is enabling those different markets uh, around. The other thing that we're announcing uh, or were announcing at MWC was the XR plate for the Cosmos. And it's in part of our create um, pillar of, of business because we want to create the VR of the future. So our XR plate that fits onto the Cosmos module offers the mixed reality experience within VR and offers the people the chance to to do things like having an office of the future where they they can put the headset on and have a different environment and we hope to show you way more examples of that coming soon as our developers that we've seeded these units out get to try and come up with great ideas because we want developers to inspire other developers. I mean another thing about um Virtual reality is not just the hardware, but actually very important is the experience itself. Um, and that is the virtual worlds within them. Now, I know that you were going to show something again at, at the cancelled MWC about um, in partnership with BMW. That's right. Yes. What we wanted to show is actually how you can distribute VR much easier. So what we showed last year at MWC was uh, 5G connection, giving PC gaming experience. And what we did this year, uh, and we hope to show people's very soon uh, outside of the MWC, is worked with BMW to show the showroom of the future. 
BMW have created incredibly high models of their cars. And what we've done is is work with them to enable those high models to be shown, not only just visually stunning on our Cosmos headset, but actually over 5G. So a Cosmos connected directly to a 5G hub over a 5G network to a server that renders that, that car model then means that one garage in uh, a faraway place that's got 5G connect- connectivity can use that server to show an, a customer their exact specifications of car and get the sale in a much, much more visual way than actually showing them just pictures on a brochure or anything like that. They actually see their physical car in front of them. Um, you've touched on it there, but how important is 5G to the future of virtual reality and mixed reality, in fact? For us, incredibly important. And 5G's one of the massive benefits and everyone is pulling out is the fact that with its low latency, it enables cloud VR. And that is what's key for HTC. We are very unique in that uh, situation of not only being a company that understands virtual, but we also understand the connectivity. Um, and we, we really want to make sure that we bring those together and allow customers to benefit from that cloud VR. And our partnerships, basically, because essentially it's not just the piece of hardware, it's also the software partners that that are creating it. So, for example, BMW being a very important partnership for us. Um, And uh, finally, I suppose, uh, what's the future for HTC and VR? Um, Is there anything else in the pipeline that might be a little bit different to what people normally expect with a headset on the head? What we're showing, uh, we're going to show at MWC is, is one of our concepts, and it's a, a design study that our engineering teams have, have put together, which is actually f- it's reducing the form factor of a device. And it, it's a shame that you can't see it, and we're, we're actually going to work on getting you some renders as well, but actually it's, it's a much smaller um, uh, glasses-type display, which is what is called an all-in-two. So it is a display headset with a connecting module, either battery or processor, that we were going to show as a design study on our stand. So that is where we're really excited about the future. It's only going to get smaller, better, lighter, and uh, more people are going to enjoy VR. So we can safely say virtual reality is here to stay. I definitely believe that for sure. We, if you just take the use cases that we've been enabled, uh, only in the last year, we've uh, I've learned to do surgery. I've learned how to drive. I've I've even got better at sort of uh, at shooting games. So it, these uh, these experiences just really augment the uh, the reality we're in and really give us some really nice experiences. So for one type of headset to another. Active and adaptive noise cancelling technology has thrived in recent times in over-ear headphones specifically, but also in in in-ear true wireless alternatives such as the Apple AirPods Pro. Decent ANC tech used to be reserved for the pricier end of the scale however, with headphones sporting the ability to block out external noises costing £250 and upwards. Sennheiser and a few other manufacturers have started to add it down the scale though, putting it in more affordable models. Are then the Sennheiser HD 450BT headphones valid competition to the likes of Bose, Sony and Bowers and Wilkins? Cam now joins me to give us his evaluated opinion. So Cam, the Sennheiser HD 450BT headphones, um, they've got active noise cancellation and what other features have you found from them so far? Well, these are just your basic bog standard everyday pair of headphones. They, they replace the 
4.50 Sennheisers, which came out a good few years ago now. They're the ones that you'll find on Amazon discounted every Black Friday and every Prime Day. So these are like the next generation up from that. Uh, and the big thing they, they add, like you say, is this active noise cancelling. Um, but they've got really long battery life. They can go up to 30 hours, which is more than enough for a long flight and any trains taking you from the airport to wherever you happen to be. They'll go all week if you have to commute to work every morning. They're just a really good, great-sounding, long-lasting, comfortable pair of headphones, and they don't cost the earth, which I think is the big deal here. I think that's that's my biggest question, is that um, how much are they again? They're about £160, which is about half what you would pay for a flagship pair of noise-cancelling headphones, so they're really good value for money. Um, I've seen this coming into quite a few headphones around this range now, um, ANC. It's it's sort of like appearing quite a lot. And um, and previously, you would always have to recommend, say, um, the Sony um, WH-1000XM3s or, or Bose QC. I can't remember which QC they're up to now. QC35, but they've um, they've launched this the H this the noise cancelling 700 they're doing now, which is a step away from the QC. So essentially, uh, now you can get that kind of technology in a much cheaper pair of headphones. But does it compromise the sound quality at that range? Um, maybe a little bit. I think the big thing the the big difference between like the Sennheisers and maybe the more expensive ones that you get now is that the noise cancelling. It's not like, you know, where the beats where you've got this automatic adjustment constantly happening every fraction of a second. Instead, it's just the the plain old old style filter that's just playing that one single filter of noise to cancel out drones from like if you're on a train or on a plane and you've just got that really loud, low hum from the wheels or the engines. It just cuts that out. It's it's quite basic in its noise cancelling, but it is very effective if you're a commuter or if you travel a lot. It just does what you need them to do. So, yeah, we have seen it. It's come down a lot from the old days of having to pay £300 for a pair of noise cancelling headphones. Now you can get that same technology in a £150 pair of headphones. So, essentially, that's the difference between um, active noise cancellation and adaptive noise cancellation, like Sony, uh, Bose... Uh, Bowers and Wilkins, they all use adaptive noise cancellation these days. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the big difference. But again, is it something that most people are going to notice? I don't know. I think these do an incredible job for the money. Also, are they comfortable? Now, one of the problems I've had with some headphones, in certainly in recent times, not necessarily the new batch, but they've um, they've gone over style over substance. And, uh, and while the quality of them is incredible they kind of pinch the head so not great for a long flight are, are the sennheisers any uh more comfortable than that yeah they are actually surprisingly comfortable i wore them i mean as soon as i got them i wore them on a three-hour train ride home uh, from london to north wales and they they were comfortable the entire time they didn't leave you feeling really sweaty on your ears they're not too snug on your head so you don't get those little pressure points on the top of your scalp or pinching your ears they're really comfortable and I think a part of it is down to it's a fairly I wouldn't say it was a loose fit but it's not very snug it stays on securely but it doesn't hurt basically Um, and I think a part of that is down to the fact that they are entirely plastic because they're a cheaper model you don't get the stiff metal it's just all plastic pretty much everything 
I also um uh, the different kind of designs. Sometimes you get them so that they just fold straight in, or sometimes you get the whole fold where the headset and the and the earpieces can fold together to make a much smaller form factor. What do the Sennheisers do? Yeah, they sort of fold. I mean, if you think about your classic sort of pair of traveling headphones, they sort of fold at the hinges of the headphones. So you fold them in and then you rotate the cups slightly, I think. And they and they, they do become quite neat. Uh, maybe not as neat as some of the more expensive compact sleek models. But again, uh, you get a nice little fabric tra- travel pouch that you can just stow them in, put them in your bag and away you go. They're really they're really convenient. I mean, they're kind of added to a new range that also includes, um, off the top of my head, the House of Marley Exodus ANCs, which I'm reviewing at the moment. Um, the yeah. Philips uh, 8000 series um, headphones, which look exactly like the Sonys, but are only £150. Um, yeah. And uh, But all these new wave of headsets, they're kind of flooding onto the market, and that's a, that's a great thing. But what I want to know from you is, um, about the uh, true wireless headphones that are now adding adaptive noise cancelling and active noise cancelling. Um, is it really needed in a pair of earbuds? I think that's a difficult question to answer because you traditionally, the reason a lot of people would buy a pair of in-ear earbuds as well as uh, just for convenience and size and form factor is that they give you that really good seal in your ear. And that in itself, that passive seal was always... Well, if the seal was good, then it cancels out the noise on its own without having to add active noise cancelling. But then the active noise cancelling technology also allows extra things like ambient awareness. So you can switch on the microphone so you can hear what's going on around you more clearly. So if you want to hear an announcement at a platform at the train station, or if somebody's trying to get your attention, you can just switch this ambient mode on and you can kind of hear more clearly what they're saying. But I think it depends on how well it's implemented. I think some do it better than others. Some don't really need it. And I think it it depends which manufacturer you go for. But I've heard some where it's made a big difference, some where it hasn't made any difference at all. So back to the Sennheisers. Um, you've yeah. got £160 burning in a hole in your pocket. Um, would you go for these over a, a, a rival brand? I mean, from having used them, yes, I would. I think the only real compromise that I came up with, apart from them being a cheaper plastic build, which you expect at this price point, uh, the only real thing that I was frustrated by was the button layout because there's so many different buttons. All of them are down that single right side and they're all different shapes and sizes, all do different things. And you have to literally read the instruction manual to figure out what they do. Um, but once you have, obviously, you know what you're doing with them and it's not as confusing anymore. But I think a more uh, user intuitive, a more intuitive button system would be better. Although it's quite good for me to have a button system in the fact that um, I think the first uh, Sony MDR-1000X headphones for me, the ear cup, right ear cup, you tapped it to do anything. Um, and every time I leant against something, it would switch the music off. Yeah, I agree. I think buttons are definitely favourable over like a touch-sensitive panel, but I think still, I think a more intuitive layout would be better. There are headphones that have done it better than Sennheiser have done it on these, like the Bose QC35. The buttons were obviously real buttons, but they were easy to figure out what they all did, and it was not so difficult to use. So a big thumbs up from you for the Sennheisers, yeah? 
yeah massive thumbs up we gave it a five star uh, out of five so yeah very very happy with these i would actually wear them regardless of the price they actually enjoyed using them that much so that's it for this week's pocket lint podcast if you've enjoyed the show please review it on your listening platform of choice so others can discover it we'll be back next week with more tech news reviews and a top interview until then i've been rick henderson and i'll catch you again soon tatty bye 